The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Pray with me. Father, we pray this morning that Your Spirit would open our hearts and our minds to the beauty of Your Word. God, I need You and I pray that You would meet me right where I am. That You would give me Your thoughts that might overrule my thoughts. God, You promised that Your Word does not go out void or without power. And so God bless not just the reading of Your Word, but the preaching of Your Word, that we might know life and freedom and love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As most know here, unless you're visiting, uh, June 20th, this past summer, my father uh, passed away. He died. And, um, and I had a, a pretty tumultuous relationship with him um, throughout my life. And... Um, he um, uh, left my mother when I was in the fourth grade, and um, and that just kind of set us on a trajectory of uh, of really uh, a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. And yet, I can tell you this morning that on his deathbed, and I was able to sit by him for about two and a half days, really, off and on. Um, I can honestly tell you that I love my dad, and. That's saying a lot. (laughs) You don't understand, but that is saying a whole lot. And it's not because we had kind of a last, you know, deathbed moment reconciliation. It wasn't because he had a, a, you know, a last minute conversion. But it was because of the passage that we just read. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely. As a gift through the by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It's because that is a living reality in my life. And because God's Spirit was mightily at work and continues to be at work, I can say, I love my dad. And you see, that's the purpose of the gospel. That's Paul's contention, is that the gospel, which is Romans 3, 23 and 24, is the power to make radical lovers of God and others. Notice I didn't just say lovers. I said radical lovers. Radical. And God's end goal, as we saw last week, is not just making individual lovers of God and others, but a community of lovers of God and others. We are to be His body, His church. The end goal of the gospel is to create a community called His bride, the church, that is to stand as a witness to the world 
by the way we love each other and them radically. The beginning of all love, biblical Christian love, is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what we looked at last week. That is the beginning point. You see, your operating principle must be in your relationships, don't look at the speck in my brother's eye until I've dealt with the log in my own. Because it's only when we deal with the log in our own eye that, Jesus tells us, we can then see clearly to deal with the speck in our brother's eye. You see, it doesn't say don't get engaged with what's going on in the world, but it tells us how to get engaged with what's going on in the world. It's not being critical. It's not hating. It's through this love that knows that I am a sinner. I'm the worst sinner that I know. And yet, I am loved by God. That's the second part. And yet, all are justified freely, freely, as a gift, by His grace, through the redemption that came by Jesus. Now, this message may seem utterly pessimistic. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it's not. It's not at all. In fact, the world's message that, no, there is no sin, just accept who and what you are, that is pessimistic. Because you can't have transformation and redemption without acknowledgement of sin. It's only when I can say I am broken that then the Helper, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit, can meet me in my weakness and shape me into the very glorious God Himself. That is the work of sanctification. And so it's not pessimistic, it's utterly optimistic. The world can develop community and relationship. But there's absolutely nothing radical about it. This, this election is case in point. You see, whereas the election caused deep division in relationships, it also made friends out of people that didn't know they were friends. You hate Hillary too? Let's go to dinner. <laughs> you hate Donald Trump? Oh, you're my guy. There's nothing radical about that. That's what the world can do. But the call of the gospel is a radical call to love your enemy. And even those who spitefully use you. You see, the world doesn't have power to do that. But the gospel has power to do that. We see it in Colossians 3.11. Paul said this. I'm sorry, I'm taking this antihistamine. Man, my tongue feels like it's been... You know, marinating in the desert of Saudi Arabia for about, man, it's drying me up all right. Colossians 3.11, here in the church, in, in the kingdom of God, there's not Greek or Jew. There's not circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian and Scythian, slave or free. I mean, what Paul is doing is he's taking the, the, the extremes, race, class, culture, people that hate each other, won't have anything to do with each other out in the world because of self-righteousness. And they're saying, no, not in here. But in here, Christ is all and is in all. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, 
male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Highly radical. Well, how do we get to this highly radical community? We all have to be operating under the authority and the good news of chapter, uh, verse 24. All are justified freely or as a gift by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So let's look at it. First of all, to be a radical community of love, we have to understand that all of us are seeking to be justified. All of us. My, my dad had a hard time with my conversion. I think he would have been fine if I had found religion. You know, if I just kind of made a few alternate decisions in my life and lived a little differently. But this Jesus thing of, of me having one that I have to live under and obey more than anybody around me, he never really accepted that. And because I am built as a human being to be justified, to be right, to be for significance and to hear that you measure up, Later in life, I realized that the reason I was working so much, the reason that I was so driven, is because I was driving to hear my father say, well done, son. And, and that became my idol. I, I, I put it up on, on, on the sanctuary post and said, I am going to worship this. This is what I'm living for. I wasted a lot of years, a lot of years, doing a lot of hurt to the people I love most. And if you don't understand what justifies you this morning, if you're not looking to the justification of Christ, I can promise you, you're in the same boat. Because we were all created with this massive need and hunger to be justified, to be told that you are worth something, that you are significant, that you are special, that, that you are set apart. But dear friends, work cannot do that for you. Nothing else in your life can do that for you. We have to understand that we are just, we are not neutral agents as we approach life. But basically, as I, we are approaching everything in life looking for that to make us significant and to tell us you measure up. I think one of the best illustrations in, in Memphis is uh, the Bass Pro Shop. How in the world are there enough people with a casual hobby of hunting and fishing to support the multi-million dollar sanctuary and temple of praise to bass and deer? It's because it's not a hobby. It's a religion. What's driving, and believe me, that is, I can do that. I can go there. Uh, I'm not preaching down on anybody. This is really one of my idols, too. He who catches the most fish, he who catches the biggest fish, he who kills the biggest deer is the man. But notice, it's not just a store, it's a culture. 
I mean, what do hunters and fishermen say about people that don't hunt or fish? Oh, sissified city boys. (laughs) See, it's much more. It's not just a hobby. If it were just a hobby, then, you know, it wouldn't divide relationships. It wouldn't define communities. It wouldn't, no. And yet it's much more because our hearts are hungry for significance. Our souls are like sponges and we can't just have opinions. And we can't just have hobbies. And we can't just have jobs. And we can't just date. And we can't just have friends. We, we are looking to everything to tell us you measure up, you're significant, and you're, you're right. We can laugh when I say, you know, hunters and fishers say, oh, you sissified city boys, but, but what are the names that you call people? You see, we can't just, we can't just accept the fact that God made us man or woman. We can't just accept our gender. But if somebody, you know, doesn't accept or view uh, our gender the way that we do, then we have names for them. We, we, we call them chauvinists. Uh, we call them misogynists. You know, we, we have these names that we call people. We can't just have jobs. But those of us that have jobs, we have this culture of pride. And we have this culture where we have to look down on other people that don't do something as significant as we do. Our hearts are hungry to be justified. What are the names that you call people? You see, we're all looking for justification. But secondly, Christian justification is unique in that it produces love. You see, the world's justification, when we look to the things of the world to justify us, it draws us in and we become consumed with self. But Christian justification, the kind of justification that is described in in Romans 3.24, is a justification that turns us... Out of ourselves to God and others. It is so because of what it cost us. It is so because we are justified, what does he say, as a gift. Another translation says we are justified freely. Think about that. We are working on a deal for some space, some some additional space to do ministry in our church. And... Those that we're dealing with have told us to put in the contract that it be a gift or a grant. And when I heard that, my first thought was, no, we need to pay for it. Now, doesn't that sound crazy and counterintuitive? Why do I want to pay for something and not just receive it as a gift? Because if we get something as a gift, we can put no demands on it. If someone gives us something, we, there's no way for us to say, well, no, you owe us. You said you've got to do No. When something is given to us, we can't put demands on the giver. I felt this the other night. I hosted a uh, um, some some clergy, some ministers in uh, a suite at the FedEx Forum for a Grizzly game. 
uh, Raymond James donated their suite so that uh, a diverse group of pastors could go and enjoy and just get to know each other. And it's interesting, because it was a gift, we had a host assigned to our room, and I never asked her to do anything. Why? Because I didn't feel like I could. This is a gift. However, I used to work at a country club in Memphis, and let me tell you something. Those that are paying a lot of money to be a member of a country club feel like they have the right to ask for a lot. But it was interesting, as I worked at that club, I recognized that those, it seemed to me, as a general rule, not there, there were some that broke the rule, but as a general rule, those that had the most money and were members of other clubs too, felt like they had the most freedom to tell me what to do and to treat me like a hired servant. And yet those that I could tell were just normal people. They, they kind of scraped up their money because they loved to play tennis or whatever. And, you know, those were the people that were the nicest. Those are the people that wouldn't throw a towel on the floor and expect me to pick it up. they pick up after themselves. And the children of those that had a lot of money were the absolute worst. <laughs> General rule. It is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Do you see it? Religion says, go and do, follow these rules, live this life, and then God has to bless you. Christianity is different. Christianity is not a religion. It says, Jesus said, here's the standard, you can't meet it, so I'm going to come down and meet it for you. I'm going to come down and I'm going to live under the law because if I were just a religious leader, then there's no way you would all be condemned because your hearts are fallen. Your hearts are deceitful. You are sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet all are justified freely. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. He gave Himself. He paid what we owed, the debt we owed of righteousness. He came down and lived under the law. Then on the cross, He became our sin. And when we simply by faith, and it's a faith that God pushes us into and gives us, when we believe this, that salvation is by grace through faith in the person of Jesus Christ, then our souls are set free to live differently. Why? Because now we owe a debt of love. We can't demand anything of God because we didn't do anything to get where we are. In fact, we did everything to deserve His condemnation and His ostracization, pushing us out. Because it's free, we have a debt of love. Romans 13.8 Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Why is that the only debt that's outstanding? Because a person who understands what Christ has done for them can do nothing but love. And then thirdly and finally, Christian justification is free because Jesus paid for your redemption. Did anybody see the um, auction that the Elvis Presley uh, estate did June or January 7th. They, they held this big auction. And they were auctioning off shirts and shoes and guitars and all these things. 
And one of the items that they auctioned off was a union. Now, you're going to show your age. Anybody in here remember Union 76 gas credit card? I do. <laughs> Some of us do. All right. Now, I thought about this illustration. I knew that I was going to have to explain it. Back when they had, when credit cards were just coming out, they had cards for everything. You had a department store card. You went to Goldsmiths, all right, and you bought your clothes, but you used this card, your Union 76 or your Texaco or, you know, exit, whatever it was, to get your gas. Well, Elvis Presley had a Union 76 gold card. All right, but it wasn't made of gold, it was just plastic. It was gold signifying how much money he made, basically. And do you know what that went for? $3,375. Somebody paid $3,375 for a credit card, Union 76 gold card that said Elvis Presley on it. And that just proved to me that a thane, the old adage, a thane is worth what someone is willing to pay. Ma, ma, ma. <laughs> Do you know what's so sad about me living so much of my life to hear my dad tell me he accepts and loves me and is proud of me? Because the God of heaven and earth came down and took on flesh and lived under the requirements of the law for me because He knew that I could never do it. And then He became all of my sin, even all of those years of, of pining away to hear my dad say, well done, son, I'm proud of you. He even died for that. Why? Because He loved me and valued me so much. Listen to Romans 7, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why do you need the world to tell you how valuable you are? Why do you need a man or a woman to tell you how valuable you are? Why do you need a job? Why do you need clothes? Why do you need a car? Why do you need whatever it is you're pining away at to tell you that you are valuable and significant enough when the God of heaven and earth, before the creation of this world, set His sight on you and said, you are more valuable to me than the life of my own son. Do you want to know how I've gotten through the last several months? Do you know, want to know how I got through this summer at the lowest point of my life, practically? My dad dying, so many other things. I'm on the front page of the paper. I'm on top, I'm on ESPN talk radio, getting just raked over the coals, and I can't defend myself at all. Do you want to know how? Because I knew that God could go to the paper and could go to talk radio and tell them a whole lot more bad about me. I am worse than anybody knows. Oh, you think that's all I'm guilty of? Come on, let's sit down. I'll tell you a whole lot more. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner. Okay, wow. I'm not perfect. 
I can make a big mistake, okay. But I've made a whole lot more that I'm more ashamed of. And yet, God, before the foundation of the earth, said Richard Reeves is worth the life of my son, Jesus. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Do you understand how when this becomes the operating principle of your life, that it can produce such humility and such love, that it doesn't matter even if you get fired from the job, and even if it was not fair for you to get fired for the job, your, the, the, your marriage can fall apart. What, you could never get married, whatever it is. But if you know that the God of heaven and earth has you so securely locked in His heart because Jesus Christ, not just because He decided to turn His head, no, okay, well, no, because He sent His Son to live under His just and righteous requirements for you. And then He was raised to life for you so that now you and I can love each other. And we can show the world what a Christian community is all about. And we can show the world the power of the gospel. You see, justification is a legal term. It's a legal declaration. God doesn't say, okay, you wake up every morning and and I'll give you a fresh start and oh, by the end of the day, you better be just... No. When you receive Christ by faith, it is a one-time eternal declaration. You are declared righteous. And so... When you are battling in your heart, man, I don't feel righteous. There's no way God could love me. The Supreme Court of the universe has made a decision that cannot be appealed. You are righteous because it doesn't depend on you. It depends on Jesus. Is that not amazing? It is a legal thing. So here's what I want you to do. You should have that broken people proud people thing. I want you to take the next couple of minutes and I want you to look down the left side. If you weren't here last week, we started this last week. And I got a lot of people telling me, this this should have been in your bulletin. If you need another, I'm sure you can raise your hand or go to the back and they've got some. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to identify the sin on the left And then I want you to see how, if you believe that Jesus paid for that sin completely and is loving you eternally, that the the ferocity of His love cannot be dampened by your sin, can you see how the right side can be true? You see, I I confessed last week I have an independent, self-sufficient spirit. How can I have the freedom to be a a dependent man and recognize my need for others? It's by believing that I have a Father in heaven that loves me so much. I was on His heart before the creation of the world. He sent His Son to live and die for me, that He might adopt me in Christ Jesus. And therefore, I've got a daddy that I can trust. And I don't have to be in charge. And I can let other people speak into my life. Do that for yourself. I'm going to give you about two minutes, and then we're done. Let's just close our eyes. Father, speak to us by Your Spirit. 
Father, for some of us in this place, you've got to just take a pile driver to our hearts because we think that we're better than we are. And to some of us, you need to show us your love in a way that that is so real, is so near, is so sweet that we might believe we have a Father that loves us. So God, I pray that you would meet us where we are. I pray that you might even draw someone into the kingdom this morning by the power of your Spirit. I pray, Father, for those that are hurting in this place that need to hear how much you love them, that they would believe it this morning and stop resisting it. I pray, God, that you would help us to to be a community that operates in humility because we know the reality and the depth of our sin because it's being exposed daily. But that we'd be, we'd be so confident of your love in Christ Jesus that he would be the one that we live for. That, God, we might go out into the world as humble and yet bold. Because what can the world do to us? Lord, would you meet us this morning that we might be freed to love, that we might be freed from religion and religious performance, that we might love those in our household, our neighbors, those in our church. God, do a work of reconciliation in this church and in this city. Oh, Father, would you blow through this town by the power of your Holy Spirit and help those that hate each other love each other each other in Christ Jesus, in your body. Oh God, would you do a mighty work among us? Would you help us to love the least of these? Would you help us to live as men and women who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are anything but self-righteous, arrogant, critical, Oh God, only You can do that. Make us different by the way we love. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.